do you have a hope that once the film gets out there and there's a lot of outrage about just how extensive the fraud is in this industry? Bad policy about bad, unsafe vaccines hurt children everywhere in the world. And so now you have this ex extraordinarily powerful entity, and that is the vaccine manufacturers. And of course, fear is their marketing strategy. They are using fear to drive an agenda for mandatory vaccination, not just for children, but for everybody. Ready to live at the higher vibrations, where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw. Hey everyone, Robin Openshaw here, and welcome back. Um, today I, I interviewed, um, I've already done it, and so I'm kind of talking to you in the past tense because I kind of have to give you an alert that as I started interviewing one of my great heroes, Dr. Andy Wakefield um, of the UK, who has been one of the most courageous voices and literally watched his career be destroyed because he refused to stop speaking up about the complete lack of safety and efficacy testing um, of vaccines and the horrible impact on the lives of our children, our most vulnerable, those who, for whom we are supposed to speak, I got a little tongue-tied and emotional because not only did I tell him, it's always, it's always bordering on a mistake when I tell my own story and how I became so incredibly committed to spending the rest of my life helping others awaken from an over-dependence on, over-reliance on, and trusting um, the pharmaceutical industry with our health. And so I've been thinking since I finished this interview with Dr. Wakefield, where we talk about an incredibly courageous uh, documentary that he's coming out with about the 1986 National Vaccine Injury and Compensation Act, which I talk about a lot on this show because it really changed everything. And it removed all liability for the drug companies who get into the vaccine game. And that's why it's so lucrative. And that's why there are so many vaccines coming out. And that's why there's a, a fight right now to be the company who releases the, the COVID-19 um, immunization. So sort of in the spirit of what I talked to Dr. Wakefield about, uh, at the end, when I said, what can parents do? He said, you got to watch the movie and then you have to get the movie in front of decision makers. So I want you to know that um, where I'm fighting this fight online is takeactionforfreedom.com. And by the time you're hearing this, I will have a letter writing campaign on takeactionforfreedom.com where you can send to your lawmakers an email that says, please watch this film. I'm very excited about the fact that they aren't going to learn the hard way like they did uh, when Vaxxed, the original movie Vaxxed, Vaxxed, got pulled from the Tribeca Film Festival. And here they didn't know what they were going to do. And you know what? They were dogged and determined and they got it into distribution. And of course, later it was banned. And now you have to you know, watch it. If you have not seen Vaxxed and Vaxxed 2, you absolutely must. That's a, that's a precursor to understanding all of this. But you can find it at VaxxedTheMovie.com, V-A-X-X. -X ed vaxxedthemovie.com del bigtree who is another one of my heroes um made these films and he too has faced an enormous amount of just pushing a boulder uphill 
and being censored and being attacked and losing credibility and taking hits to his career. And somehow, somehow he's still standing too. And these films were banned on Netflix, banned on Amazon. I mean, they were, you know, they deserve to make a living too. And they were literally weren't allowed to sell their film anywhere that films are purchased. But guess what? People seeking truth, they find it. And so I commit to, when you're hearing this, I hope that you pause and you go to takeactionforfreedom.com. And by the time you're hearing this, you will have a letter writing campaign so that you can send this film to your lawmakers in your state. Because in your state is where these decisions are made. And there is a battle going on on Capitol Hill in most of the states. Last year, there were 30. There were 30 bills in front of 30 different states trying to take freedom away from parents. And in the worst case scenario, in California, these parents lost the ability to have a religious exemption, a philosophical exemption, and in California's case, even a medical exemption, where if your child was vaccine injured, you still, with a letter from your pediatrician, cannot opt out of any vaccination. Now, that's the worst case scenario. I believe the same is true in New York. There are other states where they lost religious and philosophical exemptions. And at, at the time that I'm speaking to you, Colorado is in that fight right now. And recently, 3,000 parents showed up on the state capitol steps, many of them with a baby on their hip, to say to Colorado's legislature, who didn't care, and the, that day, which was a Sunday, and they were trying to slide it on through without much fuss from the public um, in committee, they passed removing the religious and philosophical exemption. So we are, in a, we are in a war here for our medical freedom and we absolutely need you in that fight. So this film that we're gonna discuss, we're not just discussing the film and what the premise of it is. We didn't go deep into the fact that it's the story of one family, it's the story of a couple. And the, the, the mother relies on her intuition to question the injuries of her child and start digging into it. And through that journey, discovers all these documents that are being in discovery right now for the very first time, some incredible mind-blowing fraud in the pharmaceutical industry that has brought all of these vaccines to market where sometimes we are immunizing our children with six or nine immunizations at once. These are developing infant immune systems who, who, who are, they, they literally just aren't built to sustain an assault like that. And so there's a lot of immune system misfire. There's just a massive amount of, of autism and autoimmune diseases and later cancer from so much, so much assault on the immune system. And so definitely check out takeactionforfreedom.com. If you're already there and you already know because you've been listening to my show and you've heard Bobby Kennedy, you've heard Sherry Tenpenny, you've heard uh, uh, Kent Heckin Lively, you've heard Judy Mikovits speak up uh, about the fraud in this industry, go sign the letter at takeactionforfreedom.com right now, or wait until the end of this. My, my only concern is please don't forget that this is the way that we can speak up. In the letter that you can send to your legislators, it will say, I've watched this film and you should watch this film too. It's absolutely critical because you will face having to vote on mandatory vaccine uh, measures, bills, will be in front of you and other ways that our medical freedom and our children's medical freedom is under assault. So just wanted to give you a little warning about the fact that I get sort of emotional 
in this interview of the amazing Dr. Andy Wakefield, um, but also to let you know that as I reflect on that interview, that's one way that I can help you take action. So takeactionforfreedom.com. See you in there. So welcome to the show, Dr. Andrew Wakefield. Thank you very much. It's a great pleasure to be on. Well, I'm really excited to learn more about the movie. We'll get into that. Um, I kind of want to back up and tell you that I'm, I'm who you made the movie about. I'm not specifically, but generically. I just want to thank you as the mother of a vaccine-injured child. And as a vaccine injured person, when I decided to stop vaccinating my children, it was only after my oldest son, who turns 27 in a few weeks, was seriously injured by the MMR vaccine. And I know a little bit about your background. I'm trying not to cry because as, as many mothers you've met have told you it's I didn't, I didn't mean to get emotional, but I'm grateful that you're shining the light on the National Vaccine Injury and Compensation Act that changed life for so many boys in America, so many children in America, but we're looking at having 80% of our sons be autistic by the, by the year 2032 if something doesn't change. And so before we get into the movie, can you back up and talk about what you were hired to do and how, you know, because a lot of people say, well, Dr. Wakefield has been debunked after he spoke up and I believe our government hired you. Um, can you tell that story and a little bit about how you were discredited and why and, and lead that up to the, the act of 1986? I can try, absolutely. And uh, first of all, how, how is your son now? He's great. He, um, when, I, when I stopped vaccinating my children, um, he was a very, very sick, failure to thrive. He had been a nine pound, 23 inch baby, but um, it was after the MMR vaccine and he became so very ill and he was constantly ill for over a year. He was in and out of hospitals. We were up all night with him, rushing him to the emergency room, many near death experiences. And it was luckily not, at, not autism, but um, as severe life-threatening asthma, allergies. Um, he's basically a boy in a bubble for a couple of years. And I had my second child and she got the vaccine and started to have eczema um, and her, her skin would break out. And that's when I went, wait a minute, and kind of started to put things together. And then I was in graduate school and I did a practicum on the state hospital and had to get a flu vaccine. And I became injured by that. I like literally sick an entire winter. And then I got an immune, autoimmune disease after that after being sick the entire winter, 10 times I was sick with just everything. because so it just, it just wrecked my immune system and I had been completely healthy up until then. And so putting those things together, I was like, holy cow, something is wrong here. But you got to realize I didn't have any support. I didn't know anybody else who wasn't vaccinating. And it was when my second child had had her second set of shots and she started to have some symptoms like her brother, including the asthma, but not life-threatening in and out of ERs. I read... I read, and thank you for asking, by the way, um, Neil Z. Miller's book and Randall Neustadter's book. And that's really all there was back then. Like all of you guys who are involved now, and I've interviewed, you're, you're probably like the last truly like great American hero in this movement. I think you guys all came in well after I had stopped vaccinating. But um, those two books gave me the courage 
to sort of, and I'd love it if you talk a little bit about the whole, you know, because everybody just says, you know, polio and smallpox, mic drop, walk away, as if, as if that finishes the story. And I, I went deep and I discovered that polio and smallpox were disappearing already when they even came out with the vaccine and that there were many advances in, in uh, sanitation and nutrition that, that had turned that around. And, and you, you can cover that topic better than I can, but that's, that's how I got the courage is by studying the published research from around the first world who didn't vaccinate like we do. And, and so I was able to detox my son. I got him off of all crappy food and we did like all organic whole foods. And I just went all in and I detoxed my son and he went on to become a six foot three, all state, uh, led the state in RBIs, um, hit, hit the hit grand slams in the, the state finals. But he was a very sick boy for a long time. And I, I, I had him on five courses of steroids because that's what the doctors told me to do. And the, the good news in all that bad news is that I learned to take responsibility for my family's health. And I learned to do a lot of things that kept the next three children who came along healthy and nobody ever got another vaccination. And I, I didn't even tell my then husband, I, I've been a single mom for 12 years now and all four of my children are adults, but I don't, I am pretty darn sure I never told my own husband that I wasn't vaccinating. Okay. Well, thank you. No, thank you for sharing that. I, my story started in, in, I graduated in medicine in 1981 and I became a surgeon. I then got into academic gastroenterology, uh, principally interested in Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, two inflammatory bowel diseases that were becoming increasingly common. And I was working at the Royal Free Hospital in 1990 when I became very interested in the possible role of measles virus in inflammatory bowel disease and measles, single measles vaccine in causing inflammatory bowel disease in children, which we'd never seen before. So our interest was unusual patterns of exposure. So for example, we did a study with the Swedes showing that mothers who'd had measles during pregnancy, which is very, very rare, the vast majority of mothers have had measles as a child at that time. When they experienced it in pregnancy, they had a very, very high risk of having a baby who many years later, around the age of 25, 30, developed severe Crohn's disease. So that was a very unusual pattern of exposure. And clearly, vaccination was a very unusual pattern of exposure. We'd never seen a virus injected into the bloodstream or under the skin before. We, it was a respiratory pathogen, and the immune system had never seen it in this way. And so was it responding differently and producing Crohn's? And we published a paper in The Lancet saying, is measles vaccination a risk for Crohn's disease? Uh, showing a very strong increased risk. And on the back of that, in 1995, I started getting calls from parents saying, my son has autism. I took him to be vaccinated on time with the measles, mumps, the MMR vaccine. And he had a seizure. He fell asleep for three days. He woke. He was never the same. He was gone. The lights had gone out. He stopped speaking, interacting. He was headbanging. He was toe walking. He stopped interacting with his siblings. He lost his developmental milestones. Eventually, he was diagnosed with autism. And I said, I know nothing about autism. It, we weren't taught about it at medical school because it was so rare. 
how can I help as a gastroenterologist? And they said, well, I've come to see you. I want to see you because my child has terrible gastrointestinal problems. And the doctors and nurses and people that I've interacted with on this have said, that's just autism, get over it. Put him in a home, forget about it, move on. It was an extraordinary attitude. Now, I was raised in classical medical practice. And classical medical practice listens. The art of good medicine is to listen. Listen to the mother, listen to the father, listen to the patient, listen to the story about what happened to the child itself. And it became very clear that this was a coherent, intelligent, honest story. There was no side to it. And um, so I decided that one, we needed to investigate the possibility that there was an underlying intestinal disease. And that turned out to be absolutely correct. The, mother, the mother, mothers were right, absolutely right. The child had an inflammatory bowel disease that had been dismissed. What was interesting is that when we treated that inflammatory bowel disease, as predicted by the mothers, with anti-inflammatory medication or putting them on an exclusion diet of gluten and casein, there was improvement in the child. Now bear in mind, Robin, at that time, we had been told that this was a dead end disease. There was nothing you could do. Put them in a home, forget about it. That was so wrong. So medicine had been wrong about the bowel disease. Medicine had been wrong about the reversibility, the treatability of this condition. Was it possible that medicine was also completely wrong about the vaccine? So we investigated this and over the years I became absolutely convinced and I can come to that in a minute, but what happened was it was unthinkable that a doctor should question the safety of vaccination. It was unacceptable. To me, it made perfect sense. There is nothing that is sacred, nothing that is beyond investigation, nothing at all that man has done in medicine that doesn't come with some baggage, some problem. It was that your first experience with um, learning that you were going to be in trouble if you questioned the protocol? I was told by my dean at the time, at the dean of the medical school, he said, if you continue with this vaccine safety work, it will not be good for your career. Well, in that respect, he was quite right in terms of it, my medical career. Um, but as I got more, I, I, I'm, I was particularly obstinate and, and the parents had been right and I wasn't going to walk away from it. So I just worked at it twice as hard when he said that. And um, we got closer and closer to the vaccine association. And that was unacceptable. And my colleague said at the time, working with me on looking after these children, as they say what they said, as pediatricians, we cannot be seen to question the safety of MMR. What did that mean? That wasn't medical, that wasn't caring, that wasn't science, that's not a logical approach, that's how they might appear to their colleagues. It may affect their reputation. That was unbelievable to me that they would put the care of the children secondary to how they might be perceived by their colleagues. So again, I just worked at it twice as hard and um, eventually, yes, they shut the program down and they, I had my license taken away and, and we can go through that, but it's not really worth dwelling on it. It was just, I got accused of all kinds of things. I got accused of fraud. I got accused of 
mistreating these patients. I got accused of doing tests I'd never done. They were done by my expert colleagues in pediatric gastroenterology, some of the best in the world. Didn't, didn't you at one point come to the conclusion that we could eliminate a lot of these catastrophes like my son's, and my son's isn't even some of the worst catastrophes because my son is not autistic. And I thank God for that every day. But you know that's not the case for millions of other parents around the world. But weren't, didn't you say to some governmental bodies, we need to split the MMR up and just give measles and, or mumps or rubella at any given time and not load this child up with three immunizations at once? Didn't that happen? And then they literally broke the three up and then made them completely unavailable? Yeah, no, what happened was that I, at that time, the both options were available in both the UK and America. You could have the single vaccines or you could have the triple vaccine. And I had done a great deal of research on the pre-licensing safety studies of measles vaccine. So measles, measles rubella and measles mumps rubella. And I wrote a very long report for my own sort of edification about the safety studies that have been done. And they were appalling. They were absolutely appalling. I thought I'm missing something. I'm missing a paper. I'm missing a study. There must be something, but they were appalling. You, you, um, mean, you mean that there were a lot of adverse events, just an unacceptable level of deaths and adverse events from that? And the design of the studies was appalling. It, it, was, it was not good. It wasn't a proper randomized control clinical trial with a placebo that compared, made valid comparisons. It was just hit and miss. And where adverse reactions did occur, they tended to get dismissed. Oh, that's nothing to do with the vaccine. Anyway, so I became very disenchanted with what had been done. And I went, but we did not see autism as a consequence of the single vaccine. This came about when they combined it into the triple vaccine. And this was my initial entree into, the, into this issue. And so I went back and looked and with the single vaccines, maybe there was one case of a child who got it at six months and then again at 12 months who had become autistic. For all the other children we saw, it was the triple vaccine where the parents had said, this is what caused it. And that was the same story that was emerging around the world and in America in particular. And so I said, look, until this issue is resolved scientifically, it would make a great deal of sense for parents to exercise the option of splitting them up in the interests of the, the precautionary principle. And um, as I say, at that time they were available, there was a meltdown. The government were furious. How dare I suggest that they do this? And so six months later in the UK, the British government withdrew the importation license for the single vaccine. In other words, they took away the option for parents who were concerned about MMR vaccine safety. Now, if your principal concern, and I put this to the government official, I said, if your principal concern is protecting children from these diseases, why would you take away an option of doing that if, you, if parents are genuinely concerned, but they're prepared to have the single vaccines? And the answer was, if we gave parents the option of single vaccines, it would threaten our MMR program. In other words, their concern was for the protection of the program and not the children. And in the US, something different happened. Merck made a policy decision to remove the single vaccines. Bizarrely, 
a drug company made a policy decision to make the single vaccines no longer available. To this day, are they not available in a single, in a single disease or whatever you call it? No, they're not. You have to, I would imagine you would have to work extremely hard to obtain them. You probably have to go abroad to a foreign country to get those vaccines for your child. So it was, it was our way or the highway, irrespective of the safety concerns. So I got myself, I found myself in more and more hot water about this, but I made a choice. It wasn't a difficult choice at all. I either signed up to be a doctor in order to look after patients. I did not do it in order to work for the pharmaceutical companies or public health. I was answerable to the person sitting across the table from me, saying this is what happened to my child in this case. And so it was an easy choice, and it was an interesting journey from that point forward. But the, I have no regrets, and it, it, you know, I, it's been a privilege in many ways, but that was then, and this is now, and we're in a very different time. So I then became a filmmaker because I had so many amazing stories that have been shared with me by people from the industry or from government who've come forward and said, we've done a terrible thing. We've committed fraud and I can no longer live with that. And here's the evidence. And so that became then uh, uh, the beginning of my film career. That was the, these stories need to be told and I'm going to tell them. Well, and that's apparently what you've done, and I haven't seen the film yet because it's just coming out, and we'll definitely put the word out every way that we have available to us. The, the thing that you have on your side is, and it's unfortunate, but you know, with all the interest right now in what Bill Gates is up to that none of us were paying any attention to until till March of 2020, we have millions of people who are awakening and who are learning about the fraud and the lies and the cover-ups of the, the pharmaceutical industry, specifically that subset of the pharmaceutical industry that is the vaccine industry. And I'm gonna ask you to talk about what happened in 1986 that was so cataclysmic and that we absolutely have to repeal. Um, but I think that just like it was really lucky or inspired or sort of accidentally amazing that the Tribeca Film Festival, they pulled Vaxxed out of the film festival and they did it to censor it. And now we're seeing a thousand times more censoring. I'm being censored. Dr. Wakefield, my, three of my episodes have been pulled off of Spotify. Um, and they weren't, they actually were not interesting. They were not Bobby Kennedy or Sherry Tenpenny yet. <laughs> but um, Judy Mikovits, my interview with her, which is, had six figures in downloads on my show. Um, they pulled, the, and, and, and it wasn't an accident either. They literally wrote us an email and said, we don't like this content we're playing up. I had no idea that Spotify was, was uh, censoring. And I only say that to people. I've said this a few times on my show because everybody knows that, that Facebook is heavily involved in censoring. I've told my audience that I quit blogging this year after 13 years of blogging where our blog was getting millions of hits a year. We just quit blogging because Google has so completely destroyed our reach and doesn't put us in the organic search, even though we have the best content out there on thousands of subjects. I've written millions and millions and millions of words over the years. So I just quit blogging because Google won't show it to anyone. And so um, I think you're going to have a lot of excitement about this film. And 
people are going to be interested in it who literally four months ago when you were making the film before you didn't you didn't know this was coming but i think people are going to be more open-minded to this film people who are in the middle row you know there's the people who are just like world health organization equals science there's those people and they they won't listen but we don't need everybody we just need a lot more people to get awake because what your film has the potential to do is while they're getting awake about what happened in 1986 and the impact this has had on our children as we have been injecting tens of millions of children with things that destroy their lives and destroy their families' lives like my life was destroyed for years. Fear, terror, emergency rooms, middle of the night, all of it completely unnecessary. Um, we're also going to create, you are gonna be a big part, I believe, of creating a groundswell where people stand up to the mandatory adult vaccines that are coming our way. Do you agree? Absolutely, I agree. I think, well, I, I believe that this film will be, and this film, there are two things to say about this film, Robin. One is that, that for people to take away from it, which go to the issue that you raised, one is that it is a story about how bad policy, bad policy about bad, unsafe vaccines hurt children everywhere in the world. Wherever those policies originate, and I'll explain why, then children worldwide get hurt. But there's something that this film is about which is actually far more important and may not be obvious, and that is the extraordinary power of maternal intuition. And that's what this film does, is it pits maternal intuition against this vast machine that is saying, this is what you are going to do for your child. And this is not an emotional issue. This is not an emotional nuance. This is a survival imperative. This maternal intuition, the ability of a mother to intuitively, instinctively know what is right for her child, what's right, what's wrong, and the listening to that voice. Now, medicine, as is clear from this film, has tried desperately to take that voice away from mothers, to usurp that power and say the man in the white coat knows better, public health knows better, Bill Gates knows. No, they do not. There is no more powerful force on this earth. It's why we're here now. We're not here on this earth now because of public health or vaccines or antibiotics or anything like that. We're here because mothers know their children. They know what is right and wrong for their children intuitively. And what they need to do is to believe in themselves again, to defer to that inner authority rather than that external authority. Now, having said that, the film is about what happens when you take a product or an industry, vaccines and the vaccine makers in this case, out of the free market. When you take away liability for the damage done by their products. And in 1986, the act was passed, the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act was signed into, into law by Ronald Reagan. And that took away liability for damage done by vaccines on the recommended childhood schedule. Largely at the time, it was about the pertussis component of the DTP vaccine, but it's since expanded to all vaccines. And what happened next is they make it even worse by mandating those products. So as an industry, now you have a mandated market and no liability. You have the perfect 
business model. All you can do is profit. And they did. And at that stage, they said, we now have a free run at this. We are going to introduce a whole slew of new vaccines and we're going to make even more money. So vaccines suddenly went to being an extraordinarily profitable uh, market for them. And then what they did, if, it could, if you think it couldn't get any worse, what they did then with the federal agencies that are there to protect us from dangerous drugs, the FDA, the CDC, uh, the National Institutes of Health, they conspired to sabotage those elements that Congress had put in place to assess the safety of vaccines, to do the science to determine what the true rate of adverse reactions are, to make vaccines safer, to, to compensate ch children swiftly and generously. And all of those systems were sabotaged deliberately. Why? Because if you compensate a child for vaccine injury, it says vaccines can do this. And they didn't want anyone to know that vaccines could cause harm. So the children were just an acceptable sacrifice as far as they were concerned. They didn't know what the numbers were. They didn't care. Their job was to protect the vaccine schedule. And the industry was right there with them. And what happened is the industry became so powerful because it became so wealthy that it could then buy the politicians, it could buy the media, it could buy the doctors. And this is worldwide. This isn't just in America. And so now you have this extraordinary, extraordinarily powerful entity, and that is the vaccine manufacturers. And of course, fear is their marketing strategy and we are seeing that par excellence now where they are using fear to drive an agenda for mandatory vaccination not just for children but for everybody from pregnancy to grave worldwide that is where they're going and this is why this film is so as you say quite fortuitously we couldn't have predicted this we finished production on this film in november before this was ever on the radar but one has to believe that there is some sort of universal intervention here that has brought this to uh, the attention of the people worldwide at this time it's you very know, interesting as crazy as the censorship has been uh for instance on my public figure page I literally had employees saying, we're not, we don't, we're not going to stick around if you're going to talk about vaccines on this huge Facebook public figure page where we run ads that net us something like a million dollars a year. And so people's jobs were on the line and they were, my employees were secretly going back to years ago when I did used to talk about vaccine safety and efficacy issues and deleting content because they felt that it jeopardized their jobs. And so recently, just in the last four months, the crazy thing is, that's a, it's very weird, but there are so many people talking about vaccines right now on Facebook that I think it would literally crash Facebook and nobody would come back if they continued censoring everybody talking about vaccines or criticizing vaccines. Right now on my public figure page for the first time in 10 years, I'm talking openly, I'm doing Facebook Lives and you know, I mean, some of those employees who are worried about their jobs have, have left, <laughs> but it, it hasn't affected our reach at all. Like Facebook is not, 
they're censoring all kinds of stuff. They don't want anybody connecting COVID-19 to natural um, treatment. They don't want anybody connecting COVID-19 to 5G. They're extremely protective of lots of different things. But the vaccine conversation, their AI can't even keep on top of it because there's so many people having millions of conversations about vaccines. And I think that's going to help you. I think they wouldn't have a platform anymore. Right. I, um, yes, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think it's, they've overplayed it. They have lauded themselves over the entire populace saying, we control this messaging process. And suddenly they've realized that the people are more powerful than they are. And if they want to remain viable in the marketplace, because there are a whole host of new platforms coming up now. And that's the wonderful thing about the free market is that when people censor themselves, which is what actually what Zuckerberg is doing and others, then other people say, thank you very much. I've been planning this for many years and you've provided me with the perfect opportunity. Here is a new platform that will not be censored. Uh, and, you know, that's where people will go. It's going to take me a while. I haven't gotten onto Parler yet, but that's probably where we're going. But I'm on, t you guys, I'm on uh, Telegram, the Telegram Messenger app, and I have about a thousand people on there. You know, it's going to take a while to take 210,000 from one of my Facebook pages over to Telegram Messenger app. But you guys all have to get frustrated enough that you actually go get on those platforms before be an early adopter you don't have to wait until there's 100 million people on there like we have to be the early adopters so that we can wean ourselves off of facebook i mean i've spent 11 years and thousands of hours of my personal time building my facebook platforms and so i don't take it lightly it's not like i'm just going to pull the plug that's where all the people are that we communicate with but it is my goal over time to get off of this extremely corrupt leftist organization that doesn't want you to have any information that you can make good decisions about your children. I mean, Zuckerberg and his wife have vowed to to destroy free speech about vaccination long before COVID-19. I have a side question for you that I just something I'm dying to ask you. Was there really a measles outbreak and is measles a deadly disease? Okay, measles, let's just look at the history. This is a very, very important point because it brings in this concept of herd immunity. In 1920, in developed countries like the US and the UK, measles was still an important killer of children. 1,200 per million were dying during epidemics, which occurred every two years. The vaccine, the single vaccine, was introduced in the 60s in the United States. Between 1920 and 1960, the mortality from the disease fell by 99.96%. Absolutely nothing to do with medical intervention or to do with vaccination or antibiotics to treat secondary pneumonias that might supervene over measles. This mortality was extraordinary. This, it's never been seen quite like this, but it is for measles, you saw this extraordinary decline in fatality rate. Now, death from measles is a marker of the more severe, the most severe outcome. What it meant was measles was becoming a milder and milder and milder disease. Now, the first question a scientist would ask himself is if we had never done anything, if we'd never intervened with a vaccine, what would have happened to that curve? The answer is it would very likely have decayed to zero. And this is what happens with man's interaction with infectious agents over time. Now, why did that happen? 
It happened principally for two important reasons. Measles exposure in childhood, which is when the vast majority of cases occur, gives you lifelong immunity. You are protected for life. And what that meant is that people were no longer exposed to measles when they were older, when it was a more dangerous disease, because that natural exposure protected them. That is the first major element of natural herd immunity. The second is that mothers who had had natural measles gave very good transplacental antibody and breast milk antibody to their babies. And so their babies were protected by the mother for the first year of life. That is another period of vulnerability to measles. So this natural herd immunity constrained the age of exposure to childhood when measles is most mild. And so over time, it got milder and milder and milder. Then vaccination came along. And when it came along, we were promised that it would be one shot for life, that it would be just like natural immunity, that it would not be transmitted from one person to another, that there would be no brain damage or death, that it wouldn't interfere with maternal immunity. And all of those were completely false. So what happened then is measles vaccine did not produce lifelong immunity. It didn't produce immunity for very long at all. And a booster dose didn't work and three, booster, three doses didn't work. So it's all failed. And now what we have is a situation where natural herd immunity that had caused that extraordinary fall in mortality has been destroyed precisely because of vaccination. We are no longer protected. So what we now know from scientific studies is that if you have had the vaccine, your neutralizing antibodies, which we hear about all the time in COVID now, these are the ones that are important for blocking the effects of the virus, blocking the virus getting into the cells. Neutralizing antibody titers do not protect us anymore in this country. Doesn't matter how many doses you've had, they don't protect you. So what we're seeing now around the world is the emergence of new strains of measles. Emergent strains, just like antibiotic resistant bacteria that we have created by this genetic selection pressure of vaccination to produce strains that are no longer susceptible to the immunity induced by the vaccine. So God forbid that a strain of measles emerges that is really nasty because we're no longer protected. And all of this has come about because of vaccination policy. And there were many at the time, many eminent scientists back in the 1960s who said, do not do this. One in a million children die in Scandinavia, one in 500,000 die in the UK. Surely the question should be, what is different about that child? Not anticipate universal vaccination for all children. But the American scientists were gung-ho. And we should do it because we can. That was the attitude. And when they were asked why you would do this, why the, the head of the CDC at the time was asked, why would you do this? He said, just as Sir Edmund Hillary said when he scaled Everest for the first time, because it's there. Because oh. it was there. That was their reasoning. Because it was there. That's not science. 
That's some vainglorious, oh, we can climb to the top of that mountain because we can do it. But the consequences for mankind are potentially catastrophic. So that is the truth behind measles, measles immunity, herd immunity, and where we are now. And do you have the two minute version for people who, and it's always, it always seems to be like people about my age to 70, like 50 to 70 year olds, they don't question vaccines anymore because they believe that we eradicated polio and smallpox with vaccines. Do you, can you do the short version of that? I can do a very short version and that is watch the movie. It comes out on Wednesday and it deals with this very issue because this is what the husband says to the wife. The wife hears that voice, she wants to know more and he storms out of the room. What about polio? You know, get over yourself. What about polio? And so it addresses first off the question, what about polio? And we learn about the real history of what happened with polio. You're going to make us wait for the movie. <laughs> I'm going to make you wait on this one. It's uh, the, the movie, everyone, is 1986theact.com. We'll definitely put the link to it um, in the show notes below. 1986, the act. Let's let's talk a little bit about what the act was. Um, I learned from you that it wasn't just the the drug companies who were demanding this, which maybe helps explain to me why Ronald Reagan, who I think was the greatest president uh, of the last 50 years, possibly, um, signed this into law. But it wasn't just the drug companies who were desperate to stay out of court that managed to with some concessions that they have not actually done. And I believe there was a lawsuit late last year that Del Bigtree and Bobby Kennedy won against the CDC, but um, which is that they have to test the schedule every two years and they never did do that. But um, so there were actually parents of vaccine injured children who were behind the 1986 Act. And is that a lot of why it passed? Tell us a little bit more about what happened. Reagan himself was reluctant to sign the act into law. He thought, amongst other things, that it was opening up this huge contingent liability. Um, and it was contrary to the free market. But there were... There was yeah, because that, that was like Reagan was the greatest lover of freedom of our presidents going way back. And, um, and I think he's rolling over in his grave over this. Yeah. So let me try and explain this. What At the time, the principal problem, as I've said, was the pertussis component of the whooping cough, of the DPT vaccines, the whooping cough component. It was a crude extract of just broken up cells and mush, and it was highly toxic, and it was causing brain inflammation and death in apparently many children. And it was 40 years after the introduction of the vaccine, the pertussis vaccine, that the first trial of safety was ever done. The industry represented to the government that, look, we've made this vaccine as safe as we possibly can. You want children to have this vaccine. You're the one who's mandating it. So you should take the liability because it's a small market for us. And if you don't, then we're going to stop making it. Children will die and it'll be your fault. How do you feel about that? That was the implicit message behind their blackmail of Congress. And that is what people believe to be the real reason. 
that the industry just said, we're going to walk away from this because we don't care. It's up to you. That wasn't what happened at all. What happened at all, what happened was far, far, far worse than that. The industry knew that the vaccine was dangerous. And the industry had known since 1937, when the first patent was filed, that they could make a safer vaccine, but it was going to cost them more. Pennies, but it was going to cost them more. And so with the knowledge that for a few pennies per dose, they could make a safer vaccine, they didn't do that. They let thousands of children go to the wall because it would have eaten into their profits. But they told Congress, they told their senators and their congressmen that they couldn't make it any safer. The truth is they couldn't face going before a jury in one of these cases because that would have meant the discovery of what they'd really done came in front of a jury and they would have been bankrupted. And so they would settle on the court steps, but it would take six years. So parents would fight for six years for their vaccine injured child in a court of law and then grudgingly would be given a small settlement on the courthouse steps. So it was a very hostile adversarial system that the parents were operating in. And the parents at the time believed that this was the safest they could make it. We obtained for the purposes of this film, discovery documents that came from the industry, the vaccine makers, which show the truth, which show that they knew all along they could make a safer vaccine. And they could not have that information go before a jury because that would have destroyed them. They would have been put out of business. So they had to settle before they got into the court and that's what they did. So Congress was deceived, the parents were deceived, the lawyers were deceived, everybody was deceived by the industry. And there are some extraordinary stories within the film that if you think you knew that they were evil, you, you really know nothing yet. I, I would be underestimating it if I thought oh, I knew. Oh, it's extraordinary, the things that they would do. And so the act came into being with the support of parents because they believed the act was meant to do three things. Offer a degree of indemnity to the industry for vaccines, for vaccine harm, so they could go on making vaccines to make vaccines safer, to conduct the science that was necessary to make the vaccine safer, foremost amongst which was the comparison of vaccinated versus unvaccinated children, the baseline study. And the third was to fairly, to swiftly uh, compensate children who'd taken this hit in the interests of protecting the greater good, the sort of casualties in the CDC's war against infectious disease. Well, on the first aspect, the protection of the industry from liability, it has been a huge success. But in respect of compensating children or getting the science done, it has been a dismal, dismal failure. And that was deliberate. And it was deliberate by the industry and by the federal agencies for reasons I mentioned earlier. They did not want anyone to know that vaccines cause harm. And so they sabotaged the intent of Congress. And all of this emerges in the film and precisely how they did it. It doesn't pull any punches. Where fraud was committed, it is called fraud. And um, I'll give you one example, and that is uh, 
in taking their case to the Supreme Court, one family um, were fighting against Wyeth. And Wyeth decided years ago, and, and this, is, this is one element that is common, not, that is known to people, but something that really has never been confronted before, is that they had hot lots. Lots of the vaccine that were particularly dangerous, they were associated with frequent adverse reactions, deaths and, and brain damage. And those, because the vaccines were made in batches, the hot lots were shipped out to one place. And what that would mean is that in the, in the same clinic, in the same town, in the same region, you would have a cluster of these adverse reactions. Did they and know? That, did they know that these they were? They did, they did. And they did because they had a cluster in, in um, Tennessee and eight children died shortly after receiving the same batch of the vaccine of sudden infant death. It wasn't sudden infant death. And because there were eight cases, it suddenly came to the attention of the state medical examiner who said, hold on, as some common denominator, it was found to be the vaccine, it was a hot lot, and the vaccine was withdrawn. So Wyeth had a problem. They had to avoid this kind of visible liability of the damage being done. So what Dr. Bernstein decided, who was the head of, the responsible head of vaccines was his title at Wyeth, he decided to break up the lots into smaller amounts and send them all over the country to shotgun them all over the country so that you might have a death in Tennessee and what you might have a death in Florida, you might have a death in Colorado and no one would ever associate that with the vaccine. Children would go on dying. This, in what aspect of this, what part of this is not first degree murder? Knowing that somebody is going to die as a consequence of your actions that could have been prevented and you deliberately do that in order to protect your company from financial liability. It's deliberate, it's premeditated. Beyond the point of knowledge, it is premeditated. And you know it's gonna happen. What element of that is not murder? And so there's been no accountability for this. And this is the problem. And that is what this film wants to bring is not only enlightenment of the public and a realization of parents and mothers in particular of their power, their innate power, but accountability for this horrendous situ situation in which we find ourselves and prevention. And this is the fortuitous thing that happened as a consequence of COVID, prevention of something far worse happening right now with a COVID vaccine that is mandated for everyone in the world that has circumvented safety studies that should have been done. Well, when your film comes out this week, and by the time we, we get this produced and out there, it will have been out there for a little while, I, I would bet thousands of dollars that it will never see the light of day on Amazon or Netflix. I mean, those books that I bought to educate myself to decide whether I was going to continue vaccinating my children. Those have been banned on Amazon for a few years. I don't, I don't think people realize that. I mean, not only was Vaxxed removed from the Tribeca Film Festival, um, and then people went crazy for it. Like, that's the thing is, the, the truth will not be suppressed for too long. I mean, that film, Plandemic, featuring Judy Mikovits that um, my colleague, Mickey Willis did, 50 million people watched that. And I bet 40 million of them watched it because it got banned. And 
I've actually read of Google reaching into someone's Google Drive to remove it from their Google Drive. And, and uh, Brighteon, which is sort of like a YouTube competitor, Facebook has now banned all links from Brighteon of any videos. I have a whole Brighteon channel that no one will ever see when I share links on Facebook because Facebook has said to Brighteon, I don't know if everybody knows this, I don't know if you know this, Dr. Wakefield, but they've, they've said, until Brighteon removes every single person who has the pandemic video on their platform, I'm one of them, one, I'm, I'm sure I'm one, one of thousands, then we will not allow any links from Brighteon to be broadcast on Facebook or Instagram. I mean, that's, that's how crazy the oh, censoring wonderful, has gotten. Wonderful, knock yourself out. Go ahead, Bezos, go, do it, whoever you are, do it. Google, you know, do it because you are putting yourself out of the market, you are censoring yourself there's more and more and more millions of people around the world who historically used your platforms are no longer able to get what they know they need, then you become redundant. So go ahead, because that is the free market. Yeah, so we'll, we'll be putting links out there to talk about 1986theact.com. And I predict that by the time our show here airs, that that link will be banned by Google and Facebook and whatever. And I'm sure you've already thought of that. And so you're just streaming from place. I mean, Vimeo has removed pandemic Vimeo. I had, <laughs> it's kind of like Spotify. I'm like, wait, when, when do they get in the censoring game? You know, who hasn't, it's like the last bastion of freedom is iTunes. Right. I've never even heard of iTunes censoring none of our, none of our episodes and none of my colleagues episodes on these very controversial. So, so my podcast, which is this will live on, um, is like my one total free speech platform. That and the new like Telegram Messenger app, you guys. I'm gonna, I'm gonna shout out Dr. Wakefield's new film there, and we just need to get a lot of people to watch it. Are you gonna be allowing people to use pieces of it? Are you gonna allow just it can be downloaded anywhere? What are you gonna do to avoid? No, we're gonna that? stream it. We're gonna stream it. It's streaming on two platforms. One is uh, uh, our platform, which is protected, and that is 1986theact.com. The other is sphere.io. Sphere is one of those platforms that has evolved in the face of this kind of censorship. And it's meant for the natural health community to provide a forum, a sort of hybrid of uh, Instagram, of YouTube, of Facebook, where people can go and exchange ideas and thoughts. Okay, what's it called? It's called sphere, S-P-H-I-R dot I-O. It's it's a blockchain encrypted platform. It's going to be there for all time so um god bless them and i i really hope they succeed and put the rest of them out of business anyone who censors anyone who violates the first amendment every anyone who tries to prevent people getting information that might benefit their health then they deserve to go out of business yeah and i think one of the best things that um people who are following me and following the work that i've done and have been out there since February 27th, speaking up about the fraud and the lies that I'm seeing. Even as we very first heard of this virus, I was like, hey, everyone, lots doesn't make sense about this. This is what they're saying about it in China. Like the death rate is like between 0.04 and 0.12%. That's like in, you know, similar to the flu. Something is very, very wrong, very fishy here. And people were mass unsubscribing from me, Dr. Wakefield. And I know that I can't even touch the suffering that you've been through in your career. 
due to some of these same forces, but my own audience was, I mean, 54% of them in the beginning of March were for the economic shutdown. It's down, it's down to almost zero now. And so now the, these horrible people, like the same people who would spread out, you know, hot lots of vaccines throughout the, throughout the, the country so that nobody picks up on the fact that it's killing babies. Those same people control all of the ma major media platforms, you guys, because they, they provide 50 to 70% of their advertising dollars. And so that's why you've had to go to a completely different platform. Blockchain encrypted, huh? Oh yeah, so I think people have an opportunity now to wake up to what's really going on. It's not conspiracy theory, I deal with fact. I deal with fact. And yeah, no, it's just a in, conspiracy. No, in the document, in the documentary, in the film, we provide on the website the discovery documents that we reveal in the film. They're there for you to read. So if people say, well, I don't okay. believe whether they're making that up, they're all there. Go and check for yourself, okay? Because I deal with facts, and I present people with facts. I don't speculate. Do you have a hope that once the film gets out there and there's a lot of outrage about just how extensive the fraud is in this industry and how the victims of the fraud are our new, ba new babies and toddlers. Do you have, and maybe you can't tell me this, but do you hope that there's going to be some accountability in the judicial branch of our country for these people okay. and these drug companies? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with Vaxxed, we identified fraud at the CDC that they had self-reported. William Thompson had come forward and said, we have done this. And not only does he tell us that they've done it and exactly what they've done, but gives us all of the documents from the time that all his other colleagues have destroyed. So we make a documentary which is fact. And we know it's fact. We know that we're not going to get sued because the last thing they want to do is have more discovery. And people would say, oh, you just made that up. Let me tell you, we accuse these doctors, these scientists of one of the worst humanitarian crimes of all time. And had there been a word that was false, anything wrong with that film, we would have been sued to the moon and back. And there wasn't a whisper, not a whisper. And the same will be the case with this film, because it's based on fact. Now, it really is important for people to wake up to that fact and decide for themselves what they're going to do. Now, if their decision after due consideration is that they are still going to go forward and vaccinate their children or have a COVID vaccine themselves, at least they do so with informed and from an informed position. Whether they'll be able to consent or get out of it in any way is, is another question. But there is no place for a mandatory medical procedure anywhere at any time. What do you think? What do you think the odds are? What are the what are the percentage odds that sometime in the next year that we will see a safe and effective COVID nineteen vaccine that actually protects us from this obviously rapidly morphing virus? The answer is zero, zero percent, because that time frame is not enough to determine whether a vaccine is safe or not. Let me give you an example. There was you may well know about this. They created a dengue virus vaccine for the Far East. And the manufacturers knew that it was problematic, but they kept that quiet. And it was given to many, many, many children. For the most part, dengue virus is a mild fever and, and it's not a problem. 
The vaccine itself induced antibodies, good. It didn't appear to cause any adverse reactions, good. But whenever those children then got infected, were exposed to dengue fever virus, they developed a severe disease. Their immune systems had been primed to overreact by the vaccine, and many of them died. And this is well recognized. It happened with the SARS vaccine in the animal model that they can used it in there. And this pathogenic priming, it's called, where you set the immune system up for a dramatic overreaction when you next encounter the natural virus is a real you need to get out there with that message before the vaccine comes out so that we have spread it far and wide as fast as we can before it gets censored. Dr. Wakefield, we need to work together. All of us in the truth movement and medical freedom movement need to put that out there, that that is absolutely um, historically indicative that this could entirely happen here based on the ferrets in the SARS. Um, but, but, but if people have that expectation of we could be injected with this and it could be that it literally makes us extremely vulnerable when we do get hit with a coronavirus. People need to be aware of that because I think it'll make people far more likely to say no. Because I think there's lots of people who are like, well, I'll just get the COVID-19 vaccine. And they don't realize that that's not the end game. The end game is to get the chip in you so that they can give you lots of vaccines so that you can be on a schedule for multiple vaccines a year. That's my prediction. But we need to be talking about this as much as we can. Correct. Absolutely. Anyway, sorry, back to what you were saying, but I, that's so important. No, 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 that, 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 that's it. Is that, and of course, coming back to the time frame, your next exposure to dengue fever virus or to coronavirus may not be for five years. But when you are exposed, you have this severe, potentially fatal reaction. So a one-year study, the idea that you could produce a safe vaccine and determine that within a one-year time frame, zero percent. Okay, and what are there any vaccines that you think are safe and effective for our children in the schedule? No, no. Based upon the safety science that has been done, the answer is no. I started off looking at MMR because that's what the parents reported. And in the UK at the time, MMR was given in isolation. So parents could say, this happened and then that happened. And I came to America and I learned about mercury in vaccines and I testified before Congress in 2000, 2001. And I thought, when I heard about this, no one would put mercury in anything that you would inject into anyone. And I was completely wrong. That's what they were doing mm -hmm. in a completely unregulated, unmonitored way and no safety studies at all. And then they committed fraud in, in relation to that when they were asked to examine it. So then I discovered that there was aluminum in there. Then I discovered that there were adventitious viruses that came from the cell cultures they were grown in then there was antifreeze and they, they were all and i the more you learn the more you realize how toxic these things are and then of course they're given together suddenly you're giving a mercury containing vaccine with mmr and you're perverting the immune response or setting someone up for a bad reaction that they might not otherwise have had and you add more and more and more in and you create a bigger and bigger and bigger problem. And it becomes more and more difficult to do the science because it's so complicated. You're giving all these things at once. So you can't say it was this vaccine or this vaccine or this substance or this contaminant because it's all being given together. And I think there's an element of deliberation about that as well. That's an intentional process. 
in order to make it difficult to do the science. Well, I'm just really grateful that you made this film. I mean, you could be doing lots of things that I'm sure are far more lucrative, but I know that you're very serious about educating the public so that we can stand up to this, this, uh, this, this industry that's far wealthier and more powerful than anything in the history of industry. And so I'm really grateful that you're doing this. It's 1986theact.com, everyone. What would you tell everyone, Dr. Wakefield, about what the things are that they can do to change the world when it comes to vaccines, medical freedom, our children and grandchildren's future? Right, well, use this film. Use this film as a tool, okay? Show it to your family, show it to your friends, get people to watch it. Get your politicians, your elected representatives to watch it and then tell them that in the forthcoming election, you will only vote for them if they put your children before the interests of the pharmaceutical companies. We need to force the political agenda to make sure that the people who get elected are going to represent the interests of the people and not these huge conglomerates that are doing, in my opinion, so much damage and also to mothers in particular, but to everybody. Go inside yourself for that internal authority. Don't look to some external authority that's going to save you or the government loves us or the industry wouldn't harm children. Look to your inner authority. Look to that intuitive person inside you because that is just so powerful, so powerful. And when you realize that, you can take back your power and collectively that can make a huge difference to the world. That's a great answer. And I wish when I was so very young and I had my first child and I sat there sobbing before they put the needle in his leg, I wish that I had listened to my intuition. I hadn't yet learned to trust it. Um, luckily, like, like a muscle, I learned to trust my mother's intuition and have intervened and spoken up when it wasn't popular to do so and now that my all four of my children are adults I speak up even when what I'm saying is not well received by them and I'm having to do that a lot right now I'm having to do that a lot right now with my children in the middle of this this nightmare that we're all in they they were not they were not taught in school to value their freedom and the origins of our country that were so you know so amazing like getting freedom from you know your country so <laughs> in 1776 that was a smart move <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah so i'm having to have these difficult conversations and part of it is i've learned to not we need to trust uh these industries less we need to trust government less i mean i say it a lot you guys but i was a psychologist working inside the you know government entities and learned one powerful thing in those years and that was the most incompetent, they're trained to be incompetent people in the world work inside government entities. And it's not even that they're dumb or that they're naturally incompetent, is that that system rewards incompetence, inertia, dishonesty, burying any, don't rock the boat. I mean, these are the values of our government and we are handing them the reins to our freedom and we're asking there's americans everywhere and people all over the world just asking for an injection please make me safe make me healthy it doesn't work so i'm super grateful for your advocacy and your tirelessness i i get really tired of this fight 
But, you know, and then I get up the next morning and have new energy for it. But I'm really glad to connect with other people who are willing to lay it all, lay it all on the line for the sake of our children and grandchildren. So I appreciate you so much. Thank you very much indeed, Robert.